This is Basketball History 101 with Rick Loiza. Welcome back to award-winning Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network. I am your host, Rick Loiza, and this is the podcast where we bring to life some of the forgotten stories from basketball history. We are bringing old-school basketball to a new-school audience. And today, we go all the way back to episode one of this podcast and bring you an updated version of that story. When we started this podcast way back in the summer of 2020, we just knew that our very first story had to be about the very first basketball game ever played. We needed to start this journey through basketball history by going to the very beginning of basketball. That meant going back to the invention of the game and again to that very first game ever played as the game was being tested. The other reason we wanted to go back and redo this episode is because, frankly, we have gotten better at doing this and we have produced a new episode every single week for three years, except for one where we were experiencing some technical difficulties with our editing software. Anyway, with that introduction, let us dive back into the invention of a game of basketball and the very first game. So, let me take you back to the city of Springfield, Massachusetts in the United States. It is December of 1891. The place is the School for Christian Workers. It was later to be renamed the YMCA Training Center. The students that were at the school were all men and they were trained to become future YMCA directors and administrators. Now, as part of this training, the students also had to take physical education. In the 1890s in the United States, there was a movement within the Christian community called Muscular Christianity. It was the idea that part of being a good Christian meant to be physically fit. The whole idea comes from the perspective of having a united mind, body, and spirit. Now, the reason I'm even going on about this is because this is the foundation for why this training school had such a well-developed physical education program, which directly led to the game of basketball. And at this training center, the lead physical education teacher was a 30-year-old Canadian by the name of James Naismith. He was an excellent athlete in his own right. When he attended McGill University in Montreal, he played soccer, rugby, lacrosse, track, and he did tumbling for the university. He pretty much played on every team that the university offered. He even played a little bit of professional lacrosse for a team called the Montreal Shamrocks. Now, becoming the physical education instructor with the YMCA was a way for him to stay active and fit as he would often participate in the sports alongside his students. But it also provided him the flexibility to study at seminary to become a Presbyterian minister. Now, he never did become a minister. He would later earn his PhD and become a professor at the University of Kansas, where he founded their basketball program and served as the school's very first head coach. But all of this was still in the future for Naismith. Back in Springfield, he was still a young man himself who had the unenviable task of guiding 18 incorrigible students through physical education. And while most of these men became future YMCA directors, at the time, they were loud, rough, and rowdy. As part of their training, they would play American football and lacrosse in the fall and baseball and soccer in the spring. But in the winter, they had to take their training indoors because of the severely cold Massachusetts winter. But at the time, no real indoor games had been invented. They could not play American football indoors because of the injury sustained from tackling on a wooden floor. They could also not play baseball indoors because they would have broken all the windows within 15 minutes. Other games were equally problematic. Therefore, in the winter, the class would engage in calisthenics, light weightlifting, and basic gymnastics tumbling. And it was boring. 
The students hated the winter PE activities. They could not wait until spring when they could return outside and play baseball again. Not having anything fun to play in the winter months was a real problem that needed to be solved. Naismith's boss at the training center was Dr. Luther Gullick, and he was as aware of the problem as anyone. He spent much of his time trying to figure out a way to keep the students interested in physical education during those harsh winter months. He studied a German system of exercise. He also studied a Swedish system. But none of these systems offered a real solution all they did was provide different forms of exercise that were equally as boring as the American version. Finally, Dr. Gullick assigned Naismith to come up with a brand new game. Now, I am not quoting Gullick here or anything like that. These are my own words, but this is essentially what he said to Naismith. Hey James, I need you to invent a new game that can be played safely indoors on a wooden surface. It has to be non-contact to avoid injuries. It has to give the men enough physical exertion to keep them in shape. It also has to be competitive, fun, and exciting to play. And lastly, we have no budget for new equipment, so you can only use whatever equipment we already have on hand and I'm only giving you two weeks to get it done. That was some assignment. Gullick put Naismith in an extremely difficult situation. It probably would have been easier if Gullick had asked Naismith to thread a sewing needle using only his feet while wearing socks. But Naismith was up to the task. He began to think of the games that he knew and was familiar with like soccer, lacrosse, football, and baseball, and he tried coming up with a few different combinations of these games to make a new game. He would then try his ideas each day with the students to see how they liked it and to test the games for any necessary adjustments. And one of the things that struck him about this was that no matter what he tried, the men would end up getting quite physical trying to push, shove, and tackle each other in an effort to win the game. This was exactly the thing that they were trying to avoid. It came to the point where he had only one day left in his deadline to come up with a new game, and as he was thinking about it in his office, he suddenly had an epiphany. It was the thing that made basketball different from every other sport that already existed. And we'll be right back with that epiphany after this break. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. At the Sports History Network, we're all about sports yesteryear, and so we're so pleased to introduce you to Row One, an online memorabilia gallery and shop that brings your sports history to life anywhere. The Row One Gallery includes over 5,200 gorgeously reproduced prints of team posters, game program covers, game tickets, advertisements, and more in baseball, pro and college football, pro and college basketball, and more. And any gallery item may be printed in a variety of sizes on wood, metal, canvas, acrylic, or poster paper. And in Row One Shop, check out the thousands more of unique Unique items with a retro and historical designs dating back to 1876, including t-shirts, long sleeve shirts, phone cases, mugs, blankets, pillows, towels, and even shower curtains. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com, R-O-W number one, for access to the full Row 1 catalog and for gallery prints and gift items, plus get a 15% discount off all prints on the Row 1 Pictorum Gallery with coupon code SHN15. Follow the link on the show notes. sports history fans i'm ross from the podcast pigskin tales you're about to jump into another thrilling sports history moment but first let's dive into today's sponsor just in time for the holiday season introducing art of words 
the brainchild of word artist Dan Duffy from Philadelphia. Dan meticulously crafts stunning images by handwriting relevant words from some of the greatest sports moments in time. These unique budget-friendly illustrations are the perfect gift, sparking cherished memories and capturing hearts. Choose from city skylines, sports, history, and musicians to find a piece for everyone. And here's the exciting part. For that sports fanatic in your life, gift them a piece of their favorite team or player's history. Art of Words tells a compelling story. Explore collegiate stadiums, each meticulously crafted with every football victory etched into words. Or venture into baseball stadiums, handwritten with every player from the team's illustrious history. My favorite on the site is Bryce Harper 2021 MVP year. Because I'm a big stats guy, I think that's one of the coolest things ever. Check it out. Don't wait. Order a print today for yourself and your loved one this holiday season. Transform your wall into a gallery of captivating art and surprise your family and friends with a print of their own. Use code SHN15 at artofwords.com for a 15% discount on your order in November and December. Visit Art of Words, where words magically transform into stunning art evoking cherished memories and touching the hearts of those who you care about. Again, use the code SHN15 for 15% off at artofwords.com. Welcome back to the show and let us continue with the invention of basketball and the very first game ever played. We left off with the epiphany that Naismith had the night before this new game was due. He went through multiple iterations of this new game and nothing seemed to work. The epiphany that he had was a realization that he could not have the goals on the ground. Whether it was a game of soccer, American football, or lacrosse, the goals or end zones were on the ground at each end of the field. This setup invites players to sometimes use brute force to get the ball into the goal or end zone. And here is the important part. Once an offensive player decides to use brute force, the defense has to meet fire with fire. The defense has to be equally forceful in an attempt to stop the other team from making the goal. That is when injuries happen, and that is what Naismith has been trying to solve over and over for nearly two weeks. His new idea was to use elevated goals. That forced the offensive player to shoot the ball towards these elevated goals. Then the defense was not able to use any sort of physical force. Once the ball was in the air, there was nothing they could do but get ready for a rebound. This was the answer he had been looking for. This was the key to creating a game that was technically non-contact. Of course, if you watch the way that Draymond Green plays basketball, it is very much a contact sport, but I think you know what I mean. Putting the goals up in the air was the breakthrough that Naismith was looking for. It incentivized finesse, over force. So early the next day, Naismith approached the janitor and asked if he had a couple of boxes that he could use as goals for the new game. Thankfully, the janitor did not have any boxes available for Naismith to use. However, he did have a couple of peach baskets. And because Naismith used two baskets as the goals, this is why we call the game basketball. If the boxes had been available, the game might have been called boxball. 
The other thing that Naismith hit on was the lack of equipment. He noticed that games that used a small ball like tennis or lacrosse needed special equipment in order to handle the ball. Those games used rackets and sticks because handling a ball that small with bare hands is extremely difficult. Therefore, the ball had to be large enough to be comfortably handled with bare hands. And since he did not have a budget for new equipment, he decided to use a soccer ball, which they already had in the equipment room. So that was all the equipment that he needed. A basket nailed to the end of each gymnasium at a height of 10 feet and a large bouncy ball. Now they also used some tape to mark the floor in the playing area, but otherwise they were ready to go. Now keep in mind that Naismith had literally just invented this game the night before. So many of the details that we understand today about basketball had not been invented yet. For example, how many players should take the floor for each team? Today, we all understand that a full court basketball game is a five against five game. But back on that day in December of 1891, they had no idea how many players should play this game. The class had 18 students, so Naismith put all of the players on the floor in a game of 9 against 9. The players had no point of reference for positioning or spacing, at least not as the way it pertained to this new game. I mean, again, it was just invented the night before. Everything about this first game was experimental in nature. Naismith was fully ready to make necessary adjustments as the game wore on to make it more fun and competitive for the players. Now, since there were so many players in the court, they decided to spread themselves out like two soccer teams. They had three defensemen, three midfielders, and three forwards. In international football or soccer, this would be called a 3-3-3 formation. Again, I give those guys credit because that made as much sense as anything else given the situation. Also, that very first game, had no dribbling. Dribbling was not invented for a couple of years as a loophole to the rule that said that a player could not run while carrying the ball. If the player was bouncing the ball, then he was technically not carrying it and could move around the court without violating the rule. But again, that was still in the future. For this first game, there was no dribbling at all. Once you gained possession of the ball, you had to pass it to a teammate to work the ball closer to the goal and take a shot. Now, thankfully, and to Naismith's great relief, the class loved the new game. The idea of shooting the ball into the air at the goal was a fresh new challenge, and it was very exciting. I mean, seriously, don't we all love the sound of a swish or the simple act of shooting the ball and seeing it go in? I still love that feeling of making a shot from any distance. In fact, the most satisfying shot that I've ever made was when I visited the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame, and I shot a ball into a replica of the old peach basket. And it was not easy. The hole on the peach basket was narrower than the modern rim, but it was still so much fun to shoot on a peach basket. If you ever get a chance to go to the Hall of Fame in Springfield, Massachusetts, they have the replica peach basket on the first floor opposite from the elevators or lifts, and they have basketballs available to use. However, as I mentioned, the players loved this new game. And the only thing that was a bit odd was that whenever a basket was made, they had to get out a ladder. Someone would then have to climb that ladder to pull the ball out of the basket. You see, Naismith was not allowed to cut the bottoms out of these baskets because the janitor still needed them as baskets. Naismith was not allowed to destroy them. Within just weeks, they had as many as 200 people showing up to play this new game. Word had gotten out about this and it was an enormous hit. That same winter, 
as the students went home for Christmas, they took the idea of the game with them and introduced it to their local YMCA locations. So literally within a matter of a month, basketball was being played in YMCA locations all over the Eastern United States, Canada, and several other countries in Europe and Asia. Rarely does an idea spread this quickly, especially considering the communication technology of the 1890s. This was not like they could make a quick TikTok video and then hope that the video goes viral. The idea had to be spread the old fashioned way. Now, thankfully for the game of basketball, the game was invented in the midst of an international school with international students who were able to spread the idea quickly as they traveled home for vacations. Also, since it was invented at a YMCA location, they had a built-in network to more quickly spread the new game. Naismith was mailing out instructions and directions for the new game to every YMCA location, and with the authority of the higher YMCA leadership, all physical education instructors were required to teach this new game to their students. Most new sports can take years or even decades to catch on and become popular, but basketball, by chance, was invented by the perfect person in the perfect place at the perfect time for the game to spread and become popular. And I, for one, am very thankful for that. As the game spread, the students wanted to call the game Naismith Ball, but Naismith would have nothing to do with that. He felt that naming the game that way would kill the game overnight. The game was already being called basketball and he wanted to just leave it alone. Just three years later in 1894, local sporting goods manufacturers were producing balls, backboards, rims, nets, and even shoes specifically made for the game of basketball. That made the game legitimate and gave it the foundation that it needed to keep going. Before the end of the 1890s, a few universities were forming teams and playing against each other. In 1904, basketball was a demonstration sport at the St. Louis Olympics. Less than 13 years after it was invented, it was being put on display for an international audience at the Olympics. The game just took off even faster. Now, before Naismith died, he got to witness basketball become an official medal sport at the 1936 Olympics. He attended those Olympics when several organizations took up a collection to send Naismith to Berlin, where he watched every single game of the tournament. The Olympics even organized a banquet in Naismith's honor as the inventor of this new Olympic sport. If you love the game of basketball as much as I do, and if you're listening to this, then I suspect that you do, it is always nice to go back to the beginning to see how this game was invented. This game that was the idea of one man became a global phenomenon played at all levels around the world. And I just want to say thank you to Dr. Naismith for his incredible idea. Rest in peace. Well, that is it for today. Join us next time when we share a profile on Hall of Famer Rick Barry. That's next time on Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network, the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com to find out more about this and other sports history podcasts. If you like what you hear, please hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcast. And check out our page on Facebook. It's called Basketball History 101 Podcast. There you will find shorter historical posts as well as comments and discussion starters on today's game. I'll also announce there when new episodes come out. I want to thank my producer and editor, Jacob Loiza. Join us each week as we continue to mine the history of basketball for more great stories from the past. Take care and see you soon. <laughs>